Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Good morning, Urban Village Church. My name is Jovan. I'm going to be doing a scripture reading on Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. This is a rap translation. This is a rap translation. A rap translation. Listen to what God is saying. A rap translation. Mary said, I'm bursting with God, news answer song on my Savior God. He took one good look at me, I swear it was kinda odd. I feel like I'm truly blessed, most high on this earth. His doom won't be ignored like what he did on my birth. He's very holy moly and you know that it's him. His mercy flows and waves on those and all before them. You see his strength and veins, it is all in his arms. He's proud of his creations, we can see in our hearts. He pulled the most confidants back in their place and pulled the victims out the mud who were humble estate and filled their bodies with great things so that they would grow and left the callous rich empty and not in the cold. The Israel he helped high high in his mercies is what he promised to the fathers no longer thirsty. It's passed down to Abraham and his offspring that hopefully he does the same thing to change everything. <laughs> Thank you. May God bless his understanding of the scripture. We are glad for modern day scripture translators. This is the JLV, the Jovan Leslie version. So we are glad to have her with us. So thank you so much. I'm going to read again in the ESV, not the JLV, um, our passage for today. So listen again for what God might be saying to you. And I'm uh, tacking a little bit extra on um, to give some context. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so Mary responds, and she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, she sings, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. May God add a blessing to the hearing and understanding of this scripture. Let us pray. God, I'm not even going to invite you in here because you're already here. 
I give you thanks for being present among us, among this group of pilgrims who walk with me, who journey with me to try to figure out this thing called faith, who are trying to understand or at least maybe touch, touch the mystery of who you are, especially in this season of um, hope that seems to make no sense in a world that is bent toward making us experience or feel hopeless. We grasp onto your promises, promises made so long ago, promises made real in the life of Mary and so many other people in our lives. Speak to us now through this preached word. Show up and show out in ways that we've never experienced you before, such that we might leave this place changed, renewed, filled for the good work that you have called and created us to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were here a few weeks ago, you would have heard Paul Hom, our church planting resident, preach. And he did a great job preaching on um, the passage about the fish in the coin's mouth. Um, and anyway, so he, it's been really good to get to know Paul over the last uh, few months that he's been with us. And um, it, one, of the, one of the times that I often see him is on Tuesday mornings um, when we have our staff meeting. And at some point during this meeting, and I can't even remember the context exactly, but someone said to him, Pipe down, like as a joke, right? And then, but that led to him actually sharing that when he was growing up in the Bronx in New York, getting piped down did not have the same meaning that you or I might think. Actually, as it turns out, getting piped down literally meant getting beat down with a pipe. We were all completely shocked, and he had never heard of, he didn't know that there was a non-beatdown version of pipe down, actually, until he went to college and then met with other like, people who didn't experience that. So uh, he himself had never been piped down, but people in his high school had. So that was the Bronx in the mid-90s. In the mid-70s, to say that the streets of the South Bronx were rough would be an understatement, actually. The area had lost 600,000 jobs, 750 million residents, and 43,000 housing units. The neighborhood, the borough, had been gutted. The city had basically turned its back on the Bronx in just about every way that you could imagine. And as a result, it was full of abandoned youth without a lot to do and even less to hope for. About three out of four kids did not finish high school. So that means one in four finished. The borough had been sliced up block by block by gangs. And in the way that they do, gangs kind of gave a little bit of structure to the chaos, right? They were the ones who may have been preying on the weak, but also gave shelter and comfort and protection and a sense of belonging to youth that had been basically discarded. So if you walked through those neighborhoods and you told any of those young people that out of that, their crumbling playground, something world-changing would burst forth, they might have laughed a real big belly laugh. More likely, though, you probably would have been piped down. <laughs> but it was true, actually. Jeff Chang, the author of um, the book Can't Stop, Won't Stop, says that this cocktail of chaos and violence and strange fellowship became the seedbed for hip-hop. Artistic innovators like DJ Cool Herc and Grandmaster Flash plugged their turntables directly into the city's power grid because, of course, no one can pay their light bill, right? So they plugged their turntables in and transformed them from record players to instruments. It's this repetition piece in the song 
that DJ Cool Herc was the first person to um, begin to isolate and repeat. It was the part of the song that everyone in the, you know, at the party, when that part of the song came on, everyone was like, oh yeah, right? So he's like, why don't we just keep it going, right? So he was the one who started repeating over and over the, that clip of song that then got picked up by musicians um, around the, the neighborhood. The four elements of hip hop came to life through DJ Cool Herc and Grandmaster Flash and other innovators like him. The DJs spun their rhythms, the street poet rappers brought their rhymes, the graffiti artists brought the backdrop, and the breakers busted their bodies. It became the music of the outcast, the dance of the walking dead, the poetry of the invisible, and the painting of the disenfranchised. From the center of the crack where forgotten people had slipped through emerged a rechanneled creative energy and revolutionary sound. And not just a sound, not just the sound, but a template for social change because those poets were writing about their reality, the world that they lived in, and were challenging. They had nothing to lose, right? They were challenging the powers that had let them down and left them to die on the side of the street. A template for social change in the form of a song. That's what our young mother-to-be Mary lays out for us this morning. It's a song. Last week we set the scene, right, of people exploited by their puppet King Herod, religious leaders out of touch with the realities of their people in an empire that has recast perpetual oppression as peace. And there, from the middle of the crack that a whole group of forgotten people had slipped through from the body of an unwed youth, springs forth an anthem of anticipation, a psalm of security, a carol of confidence that God is about to make good on a generation's long promise. Who knows? If it hadn't been an angel that had told her the news and her Aunt Elizabeth to confirm it, maybe someone would have gotten piped down for introducing so much hope, right? <laughs> but it's as legit as a miracle gets, and as miraculous as a story as hers might be, the real miracle lies in the possibility of her proclamation, of Mary's proclamation. A grand reversal, as the JLV puts it, the most where the most confidence are put in their place and the victims in the mud are filled with great things. Mary's song tells us that the world is what the world is like because of how hopeful it is. Her hope, her proclamation of hope is an inversion of what she is experiencing. We hear it today. It has survived its place in scripture because it means something. Because it resonates with us even today. Isn't that right? We need that hope. The rhythms and beats of hip-hop was dramatically different and immediately arresting to the people who heard it. Africa Bombada, a former gang leader, traveled on foot throughout the Bronx, spreading the music and turning gangbangers into hip-hop heads. It created a social revolution in that forgotten corner of New York that no one really noticed until the Sugar Hill Gang refined it and laid it down to cut the first rap album that sold a million copies. From there, most of us know kind of the gist of the story hip-hop took off and soared into mainstream culture such that in this day and age, a hip-hop economy has become a lifestyle economy, right? It sells about $10 billion worth of goods today, from McDonald's lunches to Dish TV Network to Scion cars. Marketers actually think it's worth $550 billion. That's the potential market of a hip-hop lifestyle economy. But for however flush hip-hop has become as a commodity, and a culture, its identity is still rooted in the experience of its birth. It can never be divorced from that. 
In the television show Empire, if you've seen it, maybe you heard uh, uh, Sharice uh, introduce it as um, Ratchet a few year, weeks ago, um, and I would have to agree. Um, we see a family business that has become wi a wildly successful hip-hop label. The founder, Lucius Lyon, got his start as a rapper, and his wife, Cookie, is his chief supporter, muse, and motivator, and, and also the mother of his sons, Andre, Jamal, and Hakeem. The label was initially funded with seed money, this is kind of a backstory, right? Initially funded with seed money, um, about $400,000 in a drug deal that went awry and lands Cookie in jail for just about 20 years. When she gets early release, she is out to claim her rightful position and rightful portion of the company. Shortly before all of this, though, before she gets out, Lucius discovers that he has ALS and decides that it's time to make a move to pass his empire um, on to one of his sons. And so he, he kind of begins to like pit them against each other. Each one of them is gifted in their own way. Andre as a businessman, Hakeem as a rapper, and Jamal as a musician and a singer. From the get-go, you learn that Jamal, um, pretty early on, you learn that Jamal is same-gender loving and that Lucius is completely disgusted by this. Early on, Lucius first puts all of his support behind launching Hakeem's career, and Cookie decides um, to sign over her, the right, her right to the company in exchange for exclusive management of Jamal. Cookie's love for Jamal is fierce, and she is protective of him because of the way Lucius has treated him in the past. But it's not just her love that makes her tie her future to him. It's also her instinct for her gifts. She knows that he is capable of great things and that he's being suppressed because of Lucius's prejudice and homophobia. So, Luke, so Cookie goes all in with Jamal. She wants to do this press conference that will feature him coming out just as he releases a single, so to kind of put all of this energy behind him. And he's not really sure about it at first because he's like, you know, hip-hop is not the place to be coming out. Um, and so, you know, I, don't, I feel like this is going to backfire. But, you know, eventually he decides to do it. She's like, no, this is going to be good. It'll be revolutionary. But when Lucius hears about it, he threatens to take away his financial support of Jamal. And so as that's happening, this is basically a soap opera, um, Lucius hears about a shooting at a shopping center and how the shooter was influenced by one of Empire's top artists. He, and so as he's being interviewed, Jamal wrestles with the pain of staying silent about who he is and Lucius is reminded of what hip-hop is all about. So I'm going to show a video clip of that. Empire Enterprises has been accused of perpetuating violence. Do you think that the misogyny and celebration of gang warfare that's so prevalent in hip-hop music is healthy for our nation? Well, anything that expresses the First Amendment is healthy for our country. If artists are supposed to thrive, they need to have the freedom of speech. Right, yeah, you have mentioned that many times before. Let's go. Let's get out of here. He Ms. Lyons, do you have any comments on the Kid Fofo controversy? <laughs> I got plenty of comments. Apparently, one of your associates would like to make a comment on that issue. Kid Fofo's tied rhymes ain't nothing compared to what Lucius Lyon used to spit back in the day. The same man who used to sing, the cops deny freedom for life. I ain't afraid to kill one to defend my wife. Your own lyrics are even more inciting than the ones that you're defending. Do you disagree? My music expresses my world. That's how I grew up. Where you either sold drugs or you watch your children go hungry where half of your family is locked off in prison. Our music is 
more of a narration of an oppressed people. You see, the Empire artists are telling the next generation that even though they live in a world where Trayvon Martin can get shot down like a dog without... The closest people to you can try. How does it give them hope if all the songs do is promote more violence? Well, there's hope in the fact that these kids are expressing their anger with music and poetry and not with a 12-gauge shotgun. Do you feel that you can still speak to these kids, even though you're now living in penthouses and yachts? I try to talk to my sons. I don't think they're listening to me. Maybe it's me that's not listening to them. For Lucius, it's a slow shift from outright rejection to grim acceptance of Jamal. Here, he's at the very beginning of making a connection between the oppression that hip-hop is calling out and the oppression that he supports when it comes to Jamal. But that's way down the line. From now, for now, what we see is a young man who is in pain, right? because of the closet he's living in and the father who would prefer to keep him there. We live in a world where pain runs deep and hope runs long but thin. We live in a world and at a time when telling the truth of who we are, of who God desires us and this world to be is more than a choice. It's more than a choice. It's a necessity. Almost every day this past week, I have seen friends and colleagues take action to demand that our local government have greater accountability. In fact, I got a text last night from folks at CRS saying, uh, Rainbow Push is marching on uh, downtown as, to keep, keep the pressure going. It's not a choice. It's a necessity. Who can live like this? This is not the way things should be. We know it deep down in our core. We feel it with every fiber of our being, just like Mary sang it long ago. And it's not just the big picture stuff that God is looking at. That's for real, right? The, the, the container that we are living in, the systems and structures that we're living in. Mary was a scared and vulnerable teenager. She had every right to believe that she would be kicked to the curb, not just by her fiancé, but by her family as well. Who knows what she was feeling when she arrived at the door of her aunt's house? She probably thought her aunt would treat her like dirt, or at least kind of bring her in but let her know, right? But instead, what happened? And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. She exclaimed with a, a loud cry, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, my baby in my womb leapt for joy. I'm sure that that was not expected. God had a big thing to do through Mary, but God did not forget Mary. God did a big thing through hip-hop even. You know, I'm, we can have a conversation about, about unpacking that a little bit more, but... God brought something big. Something big came out of a place of deep hopelessness. God, God, but God does not forget those individuals who are plugging their turntables into the city's grid. God reminded Mary that she is loved and that she will be taken care of, that she wasn't going to have to deal with her pain all her, on her own, that God had her. God had her, and God has you too.
God has you too. Whatever you are going through, the anxiety, the pain, the unresolved stuff, God's got you. God's got you so that you can go get your blessing, as the song goes, so you can go be a blessing. You can go get your blessing so you can go be a blessing. We be a blessing by telling the truth of who God is. We be a blessing by working toward making it real. We be a blessing by humanizing one another and how our experiences intersect, like Lucius was beginning to do with Jamal. We do it by showing up for one another. We do it by going back, back beyond Queen Latifah and beyond Public Enemy, beyond Kid Herc and Grandmaster Flash. We go back, back to that young, nobody young woman living in the cracks who sang a song that painted a picture of a child who will grow up to change the world. Let us pray. God, take us back. Take us back to that song. That song is welling up within us anyway. Help us put words to it. Help us break our bodies and paint the backgrounds and add the rhythms and the rhymes. Help us to do what needs to be done, whether it's plugging our machines into the, grid, the city grid and turning our turntables into instruments or our swords into plowshares. Help us do what we need to do so that your song can be sung with greater fullness through us because we know you've got us. Amen. <laughs>